Hi, it's Dennis again. Time to connect and convert. About 20 years ago, I had the great fortune and honor going out to Phoenix, Tempe, Arizona, to the uh, Arizona State University. And I got to study with Robert Cialdini, Dr. Robert Cialdini. Yes, not Cialdini, the godfather of influence. I think in the mid-80s, I first became aware of him. He wrote the definitive book on the principles of influence. It's been used by anybody who's been in sales or marketing or any related field. We've all used it. I've used it, and I had a chance to meet him. He had a uh, workshop called Influence at Work. There was only about eight or ten of us in that workshop, but he taught most of it. And wow, what an experience. So, yeah, I'm a fanboy of Robert Cialdini have been for a long time. And he basically taught me how to get to yes very fast in an ethical way. And he's taught millions of people how to get to yes in an ethical way. All of a sudden, recently, they decided to form the Chaldean Institute. And I was fortunate enough to be one of the founding members of the Chaldini Institute. What does that mean? That means I have access to all of Cialdini's research, all of his works, everything that I can teach and use in any way uh, that I see fit, of course, in an ethical way. And I love that. I love the fact that I'm now a qualified Cialdini coach, a, an ethical practitioner of influence, a founding member of Cialdini. So, I guess that puts a little pressure on me now because I'm supposed to know the answers, right? And I get a lot of questions, particularly, how does this relate to sales? When I started using it back when I first was uh, introduced to this, I was running radio stations in Miami. And I said, how can this stuff work in our marketing, our advertising? How can it work in, a, in the communication that we put out there? And also, how can it work in our sales, obviously, we had 25 salespeople. How can we use the principles of influence to improve sales? Guess what I found out? Yes, it worked all the way around. So again, I am a devotee, I'm a fan, I'm a believer. I definitely had a drink of the Kool-Aid. And today, I want to talk a little bit about how this can help you in sales, okay? First of all, as you already, I'm sure. Our brain has two systems, system one and system two. System one is that automatic brain. It's on autopilot. It's 90 plus percent of the thinking that we do. The system two brains are our factual brain, okay? When we need to make a particularly tough decision, not just to make it every day, we engage the factual brain and, and, and the, the slower thinking brain. The system one brain Fast. It works on heuristics. It works on it works on automatic responses to things, uh, and that's how we can influence the sales situation. Because most buyers, I don't care what level of customer you're talking to, they buy with system one brain. We all do. Ninety percent of what we do is system one, and the Aldini principles speak directly to system one. Okay. Not that there's anything wrong with system two. 
That's just not what we normally do. So why not go with the part of the brain that's exercised the most, system one? So his works are iconic, but I'm often asked now that I have the Chaldini name uh, in my credentials, how do we use these things? Yeah, we know there are there were six and now there are seven. How do we use these? Well, I did also Phoenix, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Gregory Neidert. He was a very close, and still is, a very close colleague of Chaldini's. And Neidert created what he calls the core motives model. Now, what the heck is that? He wanted to define the seven principles and where they can be used most effectively. Not all seven principles should be used in your situation. If you use the wrong principle of influence in a certain situation that's not appropriate, it's not going to work. And then you're going to throw it all out and say, well, this crap doesn't work. That's why Neider created this, is to say there are times when each of the seven principles can play a role. Okay? So he divided it into three different tasks, if you will. The number one task, how do we cultivate or begin a relationship? In sales, how do we bring on a new client? How do we people? How do we cultivate that? that new, fresh relationship in sales. Number two, how do you reduce uncertainty about you or your company or your product? Okay, so there are principles that apply to that. And third, how do you motivate action? How do you get somebody to how do you get somebody to make a decision? How do you get the quote? So depending on which you're in, new relationship, remove uncertainty, or get action, that defines the principle of influence you should use. So let's break that down a little bit. There are three principles that are most helpful, okay, when you're trying to build a new relationship. Let's take first. Unity involves the blurring of the boundaries between ourselves and others. It's creating a sense of we-ness, a sense of belonging, a shared background. Think of your college. Think of perhaps a church that you're affiliated with. Think of a club or a group that you belong to. Think of that weakness. I, I, for one, am a Miami Dolphins fan through and through. I've lived through some tough years. This year, look better. So I have a weakness with people who wear the aqua and orange. When I see that, I say, that's my tribe. Those are my people. There's some confusion, confusion, I'm sorry, about the principle of unity. It's often confused liking. The principle of liking, we'll talk about that as well. But liking is saying yes to people who are similar to us. Similar people, we like to cooperate and say yes to people like us. Unity is about saying yes to people who belong to the same group as us. Maybe they live in our neighborhood. Maybe we play tennis with them. That's a very powerful and easy yes when we are appealing to a group that we belong to in common. There's also some confusion with unity and social proof. Social proof we'll talk about well as well. That says that we will say yes to a request based on the actions of others. We look to others to get a clue of how to act. And unity says, yes, again, we belong to the group or community. So they're similar, but yet different. So, have you ever heard of a guy named Ponzi? You probably have. It's usually 
in reference to a Ponzi scheme. Have you heard of a Ponzi scheme? This guy was really named Ponzi. There was a real Ponzi, and he's an, he was an Italian immigrant to the United States. And he will forever be known by the bad stuff that he did. He created a Ponzi scheme, which is a pyramid game where he promised high returns on investment, except the problem is he was paying those high returns from the next guy's money and the next guy's money, the pyramid scheme. And of course, he got caught and he got run in jail. Okay. But how did he recruit these people? Because they were from the same ethnic group. He recruited other Italian immigrants. They're going to say, oh, he's one of us. I can trust him. Yeah. Trusted him right to the poorhouse. Okay. Able to carry it out by appealing to their heredity. We're in the same group. We're in this all together. We're all immigrants, the same background. Bingo. There was a recent case here in the U.S., we won't mention the name, but you probably know it was a very similar situation. Okay, what's the second? And again, let me be clear, that is an unethical use of the principle of unity. We talk here about ethical, but we use that to describe it, showing you how it works. But that is not the proper use of unity or of any of the principles. Let's jump to reciprocity. Everybody's heard of that. Everybody thinks, okay, I know what that is. I give you something, therefore give me something. Not exactly. Yeah, close, but not exactly. When considering that gift, there are two things that you need to think about. Is the gift significant? And is it unexpected? Okay? Reciprocity works best when it's a significant gift that's unexpected. Those are the two amplifiers of reciprocity. So what is the effectiveness of reciprocity? Um, always give first. Don't wait for somebody else to give. You give first. That's how we exercise reciprocity. Also, another mistake that's often made is everybody thinks it has to be something you pay. It's something tangible. Most reciprocity is intangible. It's intangible. You can give your attention. You can listen to somebody. You can give information. Information. You can give some trust. You can give some advice. You can do favors. Those are somewhat intangible. And yet, we claim those. So here's a pro tip. In sales conversations, time this sales, there are many intangible gifts that we give out of habit. Of course, we, we fail to claim them. Uh, it's not perceived as a gift unless we claim it. We bring it to awareness. So what are some of Hey, thank you, sir. I've spent my time and I've listened to you carefully. I've gotten a bunch of good information and good needs from you. I've learned a lot from you. And now it's time to go back and put together some custom options for you and give you my best advice. Right in that sentence, there's about four intangible gifts to activate reciprocity. Okay, Let's jump to the principle of liking, the third principle that works on building relationships. We tend to like people who are similar to us. Gee whiz. Yeah, think about that. So true. By the way, even small similarities count. They did a study of people with the same name or even a derivative of your name, and they did a direct mail campaign, and they got more response. If the person sending the the, uh, direct mail was John Smith, and they were sending it to someone by the name Johnson 
or anything derivative of John, guess what? Yeah, the donations went up. That's a tiny little insignificant similarity, but it moved up the response to the direct mail piece. So what's the idea here? Become more interested than interesting. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Yeah, become interested in the other person before you become interesting. Prioritize listening before talking. Listen before talking. Hmm, that's a hard one for most of us. Isn't it? And do your homework to find out some similarities, okay? Homework is easy. Back when I started selling the dark age, it was hard. Now you make two or three keystrokes and you can have a whole list of things that could be similar interests and organizations that you share with that person. Here's another intriguing study uh, by KPM. That's a big uh, financial services company. They wanted to know how the relationships between their account managers, their sales, basically sales guys, and their clients using a very complex algorithm that they developed. They categorize, categorize the relationships as either weak, average, or strong. Weak, average, or strong. Okay. They're trying to find out if the quality of the relationship had anything to do, any correlation with the acceptance of proposal and the close of, of financial uh, service deals. Remarkable. The results were remarkable. Weak relationships, maybe 30% acceptance. Okay. Average relationship jumped by 15 percentage points up to 45%. However, the strong relationship, are you ready? 70%, more than double that weak relationship. Wow. So the, the message, build rapport, make a connection before diving into business. Okay. Maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Again, be interested before you're in. Are you willing to invest 10, 15 minutes to possibly double your closure rate? How about that? Okay, next one. How to reduce uncertainty. We've already talked about trying to get the relationship. Now we've got the relationship, but there's some uncertainty. The principle of authority. We rely on surface level cues such as title, uniform, Dress, type of dress, type of car, type of house, articles published, initials behind your name. We rely on that surface level cue to decide it's an authority. I did a personal experiment years ago. I was playing with this and I was speaking to a group of about 25 people. It was a plant speech and I decided to try an experiment. For this speech, it had nothing to do with the principles of influence, but I wanted to try something. I donned the attire of what appeared to be a hotel maintenance man. Okay, I had a hard hat on. I had a working vest. I had a tool belt. I had a credentials around my neck. I had my tool. I dressed up to appear to be a maintenance man for the hotel. This meeting was in a hotel. And the people who were attending this were people who were staying at that hotel. So they didn't know me. So I, I came in and, and said, hey, here I am. Let's say that I came up to your room, room and I knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm here. 
there's a problem with your electrical system in this room, and I've been sent up here to fix it so that it doesn't cause a fire or cause a big problem. And I said, how many of you, based on what, what I look like and what I said, would have let me in the room? Almost 100%. Almost 100%. And I was a total fraud. Okay? Total phoning. Okay? That's scary, isn't it? Not unusual. Here's another one. This one's crazy. There were some nurses uh, who received a phone call. They were working in the hospital. They got a phone call, and it said, give this specific medication to a certain patient. It was against policy, of course, to do that over the phone, to take instructions over the phone. It was not approved for use, and they had administered the dose that was recommended by the caller. This would have been double the daily uh, maximum dose. The phone call was from someone they had never met, but they identified as Dr. So-and-so. And guess what? 95% of the nurses prepared to administer it, even though it violated three major policies. However, they were stopped. They didn't do it. This was an experiment. But they were prepared to do it. Wow. How could this happen? It's blind obedience to a title. The voice on the phone said they were a doctor. They sounded right. It, they sounded like a doctor. They gave their name and they told. They mentioned the name of the patient. So they had a lot of information that only the doctor could have. But they're used to following instructions and directions from a doctor. Wow. System one takes control. So. In our sales efforts, who holds authority in the eyes of your audience? If 10,000 people said that Dennis Collins is the greatest sales trainer in the world, okay? However, if sales guru, author, speaker, Jeb Blount says, Dennis Collins is the greatest sales trainer, who would you believe? The 10,000 people or the sales guru? That's easy. Which one is more persuasive? Social proof. Next one. When we are trying to reduce uncertainty, you've got a customer who just, eh, they're on the fence. I don't know how I'm going to. Guess what? You're in luck. People decide what to do based on what other people do. Okay. I'll give you an example. Have you ever gone online to book something on Orbitz or booking.com or whatever some of these are? And notice. They've started doing this years ago, but I really notice it more now. X number of people are looking at this same hotel or at this same air flight right now. And only two left at this price. Or today, we have booked 1,000 people in this hotel in the past day. Wow. Social proof. Dessert sales at McDonald's. Chaldini's people did a, a study. A McDonald's wasn't selling enough desserts in yeah. one particular location. So they asked Chaldini, hey, what can we do? What principle can we use? Person on the intercom, when you pull up to the drive-thru, make, you know, what do they order? Their hamburger, their french fries, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Hey, would you like a dessert today? And most people said, no, not today. They added a line. Hey, could we interest you in the dessert today? Our most popular dessert is the XXX. I forget what it was. Guess what? 
just adding those few words, social proof, people are buying this. It's our most, and it wasn't a lie. It's our most popular choice. Doubled and tripled sales of dessert, making a few changes in words. What can you change in your approach and sales pitch? What can you change? Okay. So social proof and authority. That's how we try to reduce uncertainty. Okay. And now, down to motivating action. How do the action? We're down to consistency. Okay, we human beings are interesting species. We want to avoid what's called cognitive dissonance. That's the experience we have when we make a statement and are not true to that statement. When we stake out a position, it's important to note that we must be mentally consistent with things we have publicly said. That's why in sales, we get what's called micro-commitments. So maybe we have seven or eight micro-commitments during the sale. Why do we do that? So that the customer is consistent with their commitment to make a purchase. We ask the micro-commitments in an an effort to get a series of commitments that they might be true to. So we act in a manner consistent with what we have previously. To. The more public the commitment, the better this principle works. I'll give you an example. There was a restaurant, a, a popular restaurant in Chicago. I don't remember that. I think the guy's name was Gordon, last name Gordon, but I don't remember the exact name of it. But he was having a problem with no-shows. He was a very high-end restaurant. And of course, if he had a limited number of seats, uh, no-show was a big problem for him. And People weren't letting him know. So his people were on the phone when the reservation came in. Hey, I'd like to make a reservation for next Saturday for people at 8 p.m. And the receptionist would say, certainly, we have availability. Your reservation is confirmed at Saturday, 8 p.m. Please uh, uh, get a call if you, uh, if you have to cancel. Call if you have to cancel. End of discussion. Okay. He was getting 30% no-shows. He said, I got to fix this. So he went to Cialdini said, how can we do this? So Cialdini looked at this and he said, all you have to do is add two words. Yeah, what are those two words? Will you? Will you please call if you need to change or cancel your reservation? Will you please call? And the answer was, everyone said yes. Guess what? You got it. They made a commitment to call small. It doesn't have to be signing your life away. It can be that small of a commitment. They made a commitment to call. They reduced no-shows from 30% to just 10%. The transformation occurred because he gained an active commitment from his customers. Last but not least, our principle of scarcity. Now, this is the one, in my opinion, that's usually used. Okay, limited time only, last one in stock, act today, price goes away. Now, I'm not saying those aren't true, but they sound very unethical and manipulative. And most of us who are hit with that reject it. So the principle of scarcity, though, is very powerful when it's used ethically. The the principle 
that I like the most is scarce information. Okay, it doesn't just have to be scarce commodities. Let's say you have information that is very hard to come by, a data that you set up, that you have some kind of secret network that gets you information that most people don't have. Okay, let's say you have that. How can you leverage that with customers? If you have a proprietary database that can be reached anywhere else, bingo. But you you say that. You've got to use that. Okay. We happen to have information that's proprietary and scarce. It's not available to everybody, but we make it available to our customers. Okay. As a VIP customer, you would have access to that. No one else has that. So I love the whole scarce information concept. Not just some, obviously something that is in short supply is scarce. That's obvious. What's not so obvious is sometimes we have information or we know something or we have a methodology, uh, we have a way of doing business that we and only we do. That's scarcity too. So that's the one that's usually forgotten. So scarcity, consistency, those two principles are what motivate that. That's a very quick run through of using core motives model to say, okay, when do we use this? I know that some of you may want more on this, and I will give more. I will try to take one of these episodes and we'll focus on just one of the principles of it. So how would that be? Okay. Hope this was helpful. It's Dennis. Connect and convert. Until next time.